our attention concerning the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ this afternoon, brothers and sisters. Let's read some of the words that our Savior spoke to his disciples at the last supper that he had with them before his death, when he also gave them insight into his return to the Father. We'll read together from John chapter 16, the verses 5 through to 16. Begin then in the middle of verse 4. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will, know, you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me so far. Let's now sing from Psalm 139, the stanzas 1, 4, and 5, where the word of God concerning the ascension of Jesus Christ, our Savior, is summarized. We'll read together the uh, the question and answers 46 through 49. Question 46. What do you confess when you say he ascended into heaven? That Christ, before the eyes of his disciples, was taken up from the earth into heaven and that he is there for our benefit until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Is Christ then not with us until the end of the world as he has promised us Christ is true man and true God. With respect to his human nature, he is no longer on earth, but with respect to his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. But are the two natures in Christ not separated from each other 
if his human nature is not present wherever his divinity is, not at all. For his divinity has no limits and is present everywhere. So it must follow that his divinity is indeed beyond the human nature which he has taken on, and nevertheless is within this human nature and remains personally united with it. How does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven before his Father. Second, we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. Third, he sends us his spirit as a counterpledge by whose power we seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God and not the things that are on earth. Brothers, sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's hard to say goodbye to someone that you love. Parents and children, to continue for a moment from this morning, parents and children will experience that sometimes. It can happen in the Lord's providence as he unfolds our life that At a certain point, one of the children in the family is going to move away to a place that's quite far. Perhaps it's for further education, but perhaps it's a more permanent move than that. And so there stands parents and child, son or daughter, perhaps the airport, in front of the security, and yes, now it's time to say goodbye. You can't push it off any longer. And of course, the emotions may well up a little bit, and the mind is churning, because what will the communication be like? Sure, there's always the phone, there's email, and you can even see each other on the screen, there's Skype. But you know that it's, it's just not the same as sitting down for a coffee together, perhaps on a Sunday between worship services or at another time during the week. It's just not the same sitting face to face at the kitchen table or in the family room. And beyond just communication, what will the relationship be like now that there's going to be this big distance between parents, and child. You can't just pop over to help out for a little bit. If someone is sick, you can't go over and help out. If someone is feeling sad, you can't go over and give a hug or an encouragement. As parents grow older, the child may not be able to be there to help out, at least not very often. And so, 
As parents and children stand there and this departure is looming, the mind is going and somehow we sense that there will be something less. Something less in our communication, even if we try very hard to keep it up. Something less in the way that we are able to help and support each other. Distance just does that. And so you can understand that the disciples are also sorrowful, even filled with sorrow, as Jesus Christ says in John chapter 16, verse 6, because they know on the one hand that Jesus is going, that he's leaving them, and they too don't know exactly what that will all mean, but they sense that it's going to be less. It's going to be less of communication with Jesus Christ. It's going to be less of interaction and particularly the help and support that he had given them for so many years now. And yet, our Savior brings a different perspective. Because in verse 7 he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. My disciples, my beloved, perk up your ears. Here is an important truth. It is to your advantage. In some way, you're going to gain now that I am soon to go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. And whatever that may all involve, and we hope to look at that more carefully this afternoon, but this is the basic truth that Jesus Christ presents to his disciples, whereas they might anticipate less when he departs and goes away, he says it's actually something more. It's to your benefit, to your advantage. And what was true for them, brothers and sisters, is still true for us today. There may be times in our life that we wish that Jesus Christ was physically close, that we could hear his voice, that we could see his face. But during this time that he is in heaven and we are here, he wants us to understand this is actually for your good. And so I may proclaim to you God's word as follows this afternoon, Christ's ascension, a temporary but beneficial departure. We will see in the first place that it is a great benefit for our prayers, also for our assurance of faith, and finally also for our lifestyle before the Lord. Since our attention is on the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is one key question that we need to answer right from the start, brothers and sisters, and that is this. Where is Jesus Christ, your Savior, right now? And we need a clear answer to that question, but we should not give an unduly quick answer to that question. Because even though with people in general, we can fairly quickly answer, where are they? Are they here or are they there? With the Lord Jesus Christ, it's different because he's different, because he's unique. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who is on the one hand true, complete, real human being in every sense of the word, but also 
is true, complete, and eternal God in the full sense of the word. And that miracle, that mysterious miracle of the incarnation when the eternal Son of God also took upon himself full, real human nature, that also needs our attention now that we come to his ascension. Because while he was preaching, while he was teaching in the land of Palestine, it was fairly easy for the people to answer. Was Jesus in Nazareth? If he was there, he was there. But if he was in Nazareth, then he wasn't in Jerusalem. Or if Jesus was in Jerusalem, then he was there. And he wasn't in Jericho and he wasn't in Nazareth. He was either here or there. Simple. But now someone may ask, yes, but what about after he arose? After he arose from the dead? Because then he was still a human being, but now he had a glorified human body. And did that make a difference? How did that work then? It's good if we turn briefly, brothers and sisters, to Luke chapter 24. Two things are recorded in that chapter which give us a good indication The first comes in verse 15. And there, in the context, there are these two men, and they are going to a village named Emmaus. They're walking along about a seven-mile stretch from Jerusalem. They're talking with each other and discussing the things that had happened recently in Jerusalem. And then we read, While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and then went with them, walked along as part of their small group. You see, at first, when these two men were walking to Emmaus, Jesus was not there. But then at a certain point, he came alongside and he was there with him. Which means that even though he's glorified and he has a human nature that is unlike our human nature right now, which is not in glory, obviously, Still, he was not there, and then he was there. Furthermore, at the end of the chapter where we read about his ascension, there the Holy Spirit says, While he blessed them, Jesus, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. So at first he was there with them on the Mount of Olives. They were all standing together, but then he left, he parted, and he went somewhere else, namely up into heaven. So on the one hand, even though Jesus Christ had a glorified human body, we still say on the basis of passages like this that Jesus is either here or there. But we can't stop there. Because Jesus is also God. And we know that God is everywhere. We sang about that from Psalm 139. But this is also a truth that is taught to us in Jeremiah chapter 23. There the prophet speaks on behalf of the Lord. And there we hear these words, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and Earth, declares the Lord. God fills all creation. He's everywhere, 
all at once. And since Jesus is God, there is also this other side in which we must say that he's everywhere. And that's why the catechism is so precise about this. And it says there in answer 47, well, is he now with us? Is he here? Or is he away from us? Is he there, up in heaven? And we there confess, bringing together all of the scripture, you must answer this in a very careful way. Jesus Christ is true man. That's one truth. With respect to his human nature, he's no longer here. He's there. He's in heaven. But the other truth is this. Jesus Christ is true God. And with respect to his divinity, his divine nature, and his majesty and his grace and his spirit, he's never, not for a little second, even absent from us. And so there is not only a very full answer to this question, not only a very miraculous and mysterious answer to this question, but there is also a very blessed answer to this question. Because if someone says, okay, even though it's hard to understand, but this is what the Bible teaches, Jesus Christ is true man and true God, therefore, with respect to his human nature, he's not here. With respect to his divine nature, he is here. But what, what difference does it really make? And to what advantage is it, really, that, for instance, with his human nature, he's not here, but he's there, up in heaven? And this is exactly what the Catechism wants to unfold for us step by step. Do you see how the Catechism puts it together? Answer 46 says, not only was he taken up into heaven, but he's there for our benefit. Just like Jesus said in John chapter 16, it's to your advantage, it's for your good that I go. And then you ask, yes, but what? Concretely speaking, that's why the Catechism continues in question and answer 49, how does it benefit us? One, two, three big blessings. And the first blessing, he is our advocate in heaven before his Father, has everything to do with our prayer life. Brothers and sisters, how is then your prayer life? Are there things that could be improved in your prayer life? Do you sometimes struggle in your prayers, wondering exactly, how now shall I say this to the Lord? What shall I say? Do you ever take a moment to look over your prayer life and consider, are there things that I'm missing things that I should be praying about, but I'm not praying about. Certainly, we all recognize that our prayer life is far, far from perfect. But this, then, is the blessing that we have an advocate. That Jesus Christ, when he ascended from the Mount of Olives, he went up to the right hand of the Father, but he went there with a purpose. He still has his eye upon us. 
his heart still reaches out to us also in the midst of our prayer life. And our advocate Jesus Christ in the first place purifies our prayers. Do you sometimes fold your hands and close your eyes, but if you're really honest, brothers and sisters, your attitude in prayer is is not quite what it really should be. Perhaps you come before the throne of God, but you should be much more humble in your attitude than you are. Or perhaps you come before the throne of God in prayer, And you should trust him. You should be confident in his grace, confident in his plan, confident in his faithfulness. But you have all kinds of questions and maybe a few doubts as well. And will we, with all of our lack of humility, with all of our lack of trust, will we pray to that great and holy God, the creator of heaven and earth, the eternal one. What a comfort. What a blessing to know that every word you speak goes through the Son of God, the ascended one. And it's all purified. If it's a lack of humility, it's cleansed. If it's a lack of confidence or trust, it's cleansed. And your prayer, purified by the Son, comes to the Father. Not only that, but your advocate at the right hand of the Father is there busy perfecting, not only purifying, but also perfecting your prayer. Your prayers yesterday, how many things did you forget to pray about that you really should have? Your prayer stretching back a week or a month. You know how it is for all of us, brothers and sisters. We get into certain routines in our prayers and we pray for certain things and, and we try to remember all the things that we should be praying about, but undoubtedly we forget many things. But what a comfort then to know that it's not just you and God, but it is you praying through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who perfects all your prayers, fills in all of the gaps, and then also presents your prayer to the Father. In the back of the book of praise, tucked away in the Belgic Confession, is a few beautiful lines that everyone's prayer life should be encouraged by. It's Article 26 of the Belgic Confession, And this, brothers and sisters, really brings home the truth that's there in the catechism about having an advocate at the Father's right hand. If you look at Article 26, it's page 509 in the back of the Book of Praise. The article begins, we believe we have no access to God. To say it very plainly, there's no prayer that goes to God except Through the only mediator and advocate, there's exactly the same word, advocate Jesus Christ the righteous. Then it goes on to describe his divine and his human nature, but look ahead a few sentences for the first one that starts with if. If, therefore, 
we had to look for another intercessor. Could we find one who loves us more than he who laid down his life for us even while we were his enemies? Think about that, brothers and sisters. If you needed to try and conceive of someone to speak to the Father on your behalf, someone who loves you from the very depths of his heart, could you find anyone, anyone in the whole world, who loves you more than the Lord Jesus Christ who said, I went to the cross. I died on the cross for you. You have the most loving advocate that you can possibly imagine. But there's more. If we had to look for one who has authority, who has power, who has more than he who is seated at the right hand of the Father and who has all authority in heaven and on earth. You see, when we have someone speaking on our behalf, we want someone with position. We want someone with influence. If you're looking for a lawyer to speak on your behalf, you want someone who is not only knows the law, but one who has authority, who has reputation. But who has more authority? Who has more power than Jesus Christ, the one who has power over the entire universe? And he's the one through whom every one of your weak, feeble prayers ascends to the Father. And then one more, and this is the clincher. Moreover, who will be heard more readily than God's own well-beloved Son? You remember that time where the Lord, the Father in heaven, spoke. Son was here on earth, and he spoke from heaven and said, This is my well-beloved Son. He said that then. But now that Jesus Christ went through all of the suffering, he went through the death on the cross, he arose and he ascended, would that truth have changed? Not an iota. He is still God's well-beloved Son. Son. Now, even an earthly father if his own child comes, says, Dad, he's really got something on his heart or she really has something on her mind. Dad, Dad listens, doesn't he? At least when he does what he should be doing. He listens. And now think of this, brothers and sisters. You may be there praying and sometimes in all of the struggles and the way that we get mixed up inside, you wonder, yeah, I pray, but, but does it go anywhere? Does it do anything? Yeah, but you don't just pray. You pray through your advocate, the ascended Son of God. And could you even conceive of it that God the Father, whose Son is seated on the throne right beside him, would turn a deaf ear to what his son is saying? Of course not. God the Father would never turn a deaf ear to his own well-beloved son. And your prayers go through him. 
When someone asks, yes, the ascension of Jesus Christ, but what does that mean? His death, I understand. His resurrection, I understand. But the ascension, it just seems like a loss. He's gone. We can't speak to him face to face. Consider your prayer life, brothers and sisters. Your prayer life is so blessed by having God's own Son there at the Father's right hand. But that's only the first blessing. The Catechism goes on and it says, there's more, there's more. Also, we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. Once again, let's make this concrete. When someone, at least to our human eyes, knowledge, when someone is soon to die, fellow Christian, sincere believer, then we comfort him, we comfort her, we comfort each other by saying, yes, but when he breathes his last, he goes to be with the Lord in heaven. And so it is. And if it comes to that point in our own life when we sense that our days are numbered, we may soon have to die. We draw comfort. We say, yes, this may not be easy, but we die, we go to be with the Lord. That's true. But that's also a truth that sometimes, brothers and sisters, sincere Christians wrestle with. Even those who believe perhaps all their life, but there are times when, cornered by the sinful nature on one side and the devil who never wants to give up on the other side, these little doubts, these little questions sometimes come up in the minds of God's people. Yes, I know those truths. I know what the Bible says. I know what I've heard in the preaching, but is it really true for me? And it's precisely when those type of questions sometimes come up that the ascension of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is such a comforting truth. Because I ask you, brothers and sisters, who now? Who went up, was taken up from the Mount of Olives to the right hand of the Father in heaven? Jesus Christ, you say. Correct. Who else was he? Son of God. Yes. Who else? Our prophet, yes. The great high priest, yes. Our eternal king, yes. But one more yet. You know who went up from the Mount of Olives to the right hand of the Father? Your bridegroom, Jesus Christ, the beloved one. And you know how Scripture describes that bond between bridegroom and bride? Head and body. The two, by the work of God, become one. And concerning Jesus Christ, our bridegroom and our head, and us as members of his body, we are united as one through the working of the Holy Spirit. And that's a real, that needs to be emphasized, that's a real 
unity. Sometimes it seems as if in our minds we almost change it into what's technically called a simile, a comparison, as if Jesus Christ, his head, and we, his body, members of his body, that that's a way of comparing things, that's a way of describing in order to explain. This morning we were in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians speaks with much more strength than that. Look at the end of Ephesians chapter 1. There we read about, And he, that's God the Father, put all things under his, that's Christ's feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church. Now please note, the church which is his body, not just is like or could be compared to his body, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so, our real head, our real bridegroom, he's there. And we, all the members of his body, we're still here. But where the head goes, the body must follow. There's something so profoundly simple about it, brothers and sisters. Just look at your own physical body. Where your head goes, your body follows. You move your head this way, your body comes along. You move your head this way, the body comes along. This is not complicated. But it's this very truth. It's the clarity. It's the simplicity of this truth that we need right at those moments when spiritually some of those doubts or questions or confusions come in. Where will we go when we die? We, members of the body, will go where the head has gone. Because that relationship through the Holy Spirit is a real one. And therefore the catechism puts it in such simple terms. But brothers and sisters, when you need it, when someone else needs it, when they come close to that point of death, or maybe even before that, and they just need the assurance, that assurance concerning the ultimate destiny after death, then we say, I believe. I believe that Jesus Christ ascended, and I believe that all those who belong to him, as members of his body, will go where he has gone. So simple, but so necessary at the moment. But we are not there yet, brothers and sisters. And the Catechism also wants to remind us that the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ is not only something for our prayer life, not only something for our comfort when death looms, but it's also something for every day. He sends us his spirit as a counter pledge by whose power we seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. When Jesus Christ was speaking to his disciples, this was one of the things that he put front and center. He said, 
It's to your advantage that I go away, even if you may not see it that way right now. But it is because if I don't go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. And you need that Holy Spirit. Why? Then he unpacks it. Verse 8. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And just as much as the Holy Spirit needs to convict the world of these things, he also needs to convict us of these things. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. This, brothers and sisters, is problem number one with the world. People can talk about economic troubles. People can talk about environmental difficulties and social relationships and all kinds of political and economic factors. But you know problem number one with this whole world is that so few people actually believe in God genuinely and truly. And that's why the Holy Spirit was sent. So that through the proclamation of the gospel, more and more hearts may be turned away from disbelief and unbelief to genuine belief. But that not only applies out in the world, also applies to us. Yes, we believe. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're going to sing that in a few moments, the Apostles' Creed. But oh, how small yet our faith Oh, the lack, brothers and sisters, in our trust. And day by day we need that trust in our faithful God and Savior to be built up, to strengthen. There are so many things in us. There are so many things around us that put all kinds of question marks, all kinds of doubt. How is anyone to believe solidly, steadfastly, day in, day out, through the ups and downs of life, only through the working of the Holy Spirit. What a good thing that Jesus Christ went up and sent down into our hearts the Holy Spirit. We need him to strengthen our faith. And concerning righteousness, Jesus Christ said, the Holy Spirit is going to convince the world concerning righteousness because, he said, I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning righteousness, you see, righteousness is exactly the answer that we need to sin. It's the righteousness of Christ which covers over our sinfulness. Now at that time, the people, the vast majority of them anyways, they didn't believe, they didn't trust that Jesus Christ was the answer, that he was their righteousness before God. But now that he was going to go to the Father... This would be proof positive. Would the son, would the one who had been condemned as a criminal, would the one concerning whom they said, get rid of him, crucify him, just be gone, would this one now be accepted by God? Yes, he was taken up and the very heavens accepted him. Proof positive that he was and is the answer. Jesus Christ, our righteousness. We know that. Brothers and sisters, 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to be convinced of it time and time again. Because our sins are great. And often we can also feel so guilty. How does God still put up with me? We wonder. We too need that message, that truth that the Holy Spirit brings concerning righteousness. Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, went into the heavens. The Father accepted him without any question. What he had done was full, complete, more than sufficient. And so, when you are convicted by the Holy Spirit of your sins, also be convinced by the Holy Spirit that the righteousness of Jesus Christ is more than enough. And finally, the Holy Spirit has a message concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus Christ ascended, but he's also coming again. He said that right from the start. When he comes again, that will be judgment day. And yes, we will all have to appear before the throne of justice, but there's someone else who will be judged, the ruler of this world who is Satan, the devil, the evil one, brothers and sisters, who causes us still so much grief. There are certainly days where we would wish we didn't have to deal with that evil one anymore, that you didn't have to deal with the temptations that he throws at you, you wouldn't have to deal with all of these flaming arrows that he shoots your way. You wouldn't have to deal with these little whispers of luring and temptation and planting of doubts. Would it not be so good to live without that evil work of the evil one? But this is what the Holy Spirit was sent to also convince us of. The truth. Satan's Days are absolutely numbered. He's facing a judgment day on which he will be condemned and sent away forever. Never to afflict, never to torment, never even to tempt us as God's people anymore. And from the midst of the battlefield right now, we need that ray of light, that ray of hope. And it comes to us through the Holy Spirit whom Jesus sent when he ascended into heaven. Prayer life, assurance of salvation upon death, and every day again in the midst of the sins, in the midst of the temptations, being pointed to the hope, being pointed above. Do you see it now, brothers and sisters? Jesus meant it. When he said, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go to the Father. So it is. Amen.